Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, this is episode 147. Uh, sadly, for most Knicks fans, this is a dreary, dismal day. Uh, but for those of us who root for Michigan football, today is a great day. And it does not matter that the Knicks are below 500 because the motherfucking Michigan Wolverines are Big Ten champs. For the first time since 2004. And to ring in the occasion, I am joined by my co-host, Stacey Pan. That's at Stacey Pan 89 Stacey, how are you feeling on this victory Sunday? Go blue, baby. Go blue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got to be completely honest. Uh, it, as terrible as the Knicks played yesterday, I literally did not give a single fuck. Because we had bigger fish to fry. But... Uh, we are not here to talk about Michigan football, sadly. We are here to talk about the Knicks. And to talk about the Knicks, we are joined by longtime enemy of Knicks fans and Knicks Twitter, Seth Partnow. Seth, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I feel like you're you're starting out with some needle, though. But there's no way you would have known this because, uh, of course, you wouldn't. But my rival high school growing <laughs> up, their, their uh, fight song was Hail to the Victors. So I feel like... I'm coming in already, you know, we've already, we're already enemies here as usual. Um, yeah, I had no idea. Um, but I didn't know high schools had fight songs. Yeah, I, I don't no know idea. my high school's fight song. <laughs> I just know we were the, we are the Vikings. So we stole the Vikings logo that I see a lot of teams steal logos. There were fight songs that existed in high schools. Um, we just, uh, I, I do know that they steal like logos and mascots from pro and college teams. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, we don't get a chance to uh, have an extended discussion about Michigan football. Um, we have to talk about the Knicks, who are depressing me. But uh, before we get started, I have to make the announcement of all announcements. We at the Strickland have a Patreon now. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash the Strickland or on our homepage at the Strick.land. This pod right here, Pod Strickland, on Mondays will remain free. Draft Strickland is free. Alex Zach and Matt's Mail.Bag, which we'll be uh, releasing again this week, is free. Uh, and we will likely be adding another podcast to the lineup, which will also be free moving forward. Things that are changing, Pod Strickland on Friday with me and Prez, and my mailbag with Jeremy and Drew will be on the $6 tier and above. Uh, my solo pod uh, will be on the $9 tier. But the reason to actually subscribe to that tier is not to hear more of me ranting and raving. It is for exclusive weekly articles from Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers around in the Knicksverse. Uh, if you want even more access to us, you can join the $15, $30, $50, or $100 tiers, which include many benefits ranging from watch parties, sitting in on pod recordings, guest appearances on podcasts, and even hosting a podcast yourself where you can tell me I am a jackass. Uh, 
No matter what, if you are a Patreon or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And we're going to start talking about the Knicks now. I don't know. I have a lot of very mixed and various thoughts on them. Um, but I will say this. I think that um, I've seen people suggest that uh, Kemba Walker was scapegoated or that uh, <laughs> people you've seen people suggest. Yes, this? I know, but I'm not even, I'm not even throwing shade at you. There was actually a huge discussion on our discord about this yesterday uh, and the day before, but about, Oh, Kemba Walker was, was scapegoated. And I kind of find that like a weird framing of what happened. Um, but if we want to go down that path, like, yeah, sure. He was scapegoated, but I think like he was rightfully, excised from the rotation um does that mean that now everything is fixed obviously no we see that now um and i think like it's it's worth discussing the, the real issues um not the real issues but that was a chemo was an issue uh but we can talk about more like some of the structural issues we're seeing and um you know like to me yes opponents are shooting excellently from three against us but we're also allowing them to get into rhythm. Um, and if you specifically just watch how we're playing, like, I mean, the Bulls game, you could see this too. And obviously it happened yesterday against Denver. Um, our help side defense and just like secondary defense, like just basically any defense that requires rotations, it's so all over the place. you got guys rotating to the same player. You've got dudes that have no idea where the fuck they're going or like it's just constant and then you also it's exacerbated by the fact that the entire fucking scheme uh is predicated on your fives being elite rim protectors that are erasing mistakes and right now mitch and noel both are like they're just not playing at the level they were last year and it's all going to shit and i think it's all building you know it's all like kind of piling up right um so you know i don't know if it's worth kind of picking out in individuals but like right now it is a collective issue and um you know seth you've mentioned this too like randall you can kind of like like how the knicks are playing you could almost see how they're playing based on just looking at julius randall's like body language um but like i think and i think that's kind of what it is it's like he has no like it's just like it, it feels like nobody is taking control of the situation in a lot of ways. And um, there's not a lot of ownership going on. And it's also because I think flat out, there are guys that like, it's weird. Like it, it actually looks like a team that is, doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing collectively at, at, at a lot of times. And I think it's just building from defense and then it bleeds into like, okay, now we don't know what the fuck we're doing on offense either. Um, not that our offense has ever been super advanced in how it's run. It is worth noting that last year the Knicks did um, they did reduce three-point uh, attempts as the season went on. Um, I think a lot of the discussion was early in the season when they were giving up a lot of wide-open threes. So over the course of last year, they did improve on that, and obviously this year they haven't been. But sorry. Go yeah. on. No, so I think the, the, the big thing that I'd say, just in this covers offense and defense, and you know you mentioned Randall, and I'm sure we'll get into that more, but misdirected effort. Is is a lot of what I see when I'm watching the Knicks. Um, you know, I we talk all the time about offensive rhythm. Defensive rhythm is a thing too. And you're talking about the, you know, the help side being late, our guys rotating the wrong spot, or it's, you know, you 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 can go through stretches where that stuff just those decisions aren't being made well consistently by players the same way you can 
you know, oh, we, you know, our offense is gummed up and we're not in the rhythm and blah, blah, blah. You can, that, that can happen too. And it's, it's, it, and it, it, frankly, it probably builds on itself that like the offense is so gummy. So the defense feels like they have to press. And now everyone is like, I got to make a play. And, and, you know, it's, it's squeeze tighter is a hard way to, you know, execute any sort of uh, athletic uh, attempt. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of squeeze harder going on in just, just again, watching the next play, like Randall, especially it's like, I want so bad for the right thing to happen. And because I want so bad, I'm going to do things that make it harder for it to happen. Um, so that's sort of, that's, that's sort of the global, global thing I say. And I wasn't planning on taking a victory lap about the three point <laughs> shooting. I have, I have so, like, that's like the fourth or fifth lap I can get to it. I don't want to run that far. So we'll get to the other ones, but, uh, well, I guess that's been a lot of, I have seen a lot of people say Seth was right, uh, on Nick's Twitter, especially yesterday, uh, when I think that the Nuggets hit about 15,000 three pointers. So I think, they, I think they legit hit, I think they hit 20. I don't know if they hit 21, but I know they, I think 20. it was 20. Yeah. yeah. It was 20 of 42. So they shot a high percentage, but I mean, I, it's also the Knicks. They were, they were wide open. So that, I think, I think actually since, since one of, one of the points of contention, shall we say, uh, it has been, uh, relates to the Bulls. And I think looking at how the Bulls are defending this year, um, is a good, uh, contrast, um, because one of the things about when the Knicks were defending at a super high level last year is you could see how high on the floor opponents were having to start their offense. Yep. You know, they're um and and the Bulls are doing that this year and 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 the Knicks aren't. And, you know, maybe is that, you know, the the defensive downgrade from from Peyton and Bullock to 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 Fournier and Walker, maybe. But I don't but I don't think I don't I think it's just I think it's it's consistently everywhere. And it probably starts by, frankly, like not, you know, not, you know, Randall is not shooting as well. And so there's more times you're playing against a live ball and, and, and it's, it's harder to set your defense like off of a rebound. And, and I think, bucket. and I think part of the issue, like, let's be real here. Um, like effort is a thing and the Knicks are not playing with consistent effort. Um, and like, this is not just like, you know, I'm not even talking about specifically like, oh, like you got to want it more type of shit. Like it's like you watch them when the ball goes up, when a shot goes up, you watch them on the defensive glass and it looks like half the time you've got like, like Mitch, right? He was great at boxing out last year, right? He, he led, I don't know if he led the league, but he had, he was averaging basically like NBA.com slash NBA.com stats, uh, had him at five box outs, uh, per game in 27 minutes. I think he averaged last year. Um, this year, He's still he's like top five in the league apparently according to this, but it's dropped out to three point four uh, in just about the same amount of minutes per game. And like, is that all the problem? No, I. It's just it kind of drives home. I, I feel like there's been a collective um, letting go of the rope in a way. It feels like um, it. It honestly, it feels like sometimes that the Knicks we won. We went forty one and thirty one last year. And collectively, it's like, well, we did these things in the offseason, so now everything is like we're supposed to be better, and we're just expecting it to be better. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, like I, I kind of watch this team, and I, I said this actually at the end of preseason. I didn't like how they. I know it's preseason, but I didn't like how they ended preseason. I didn't like how they played against the Pistons or, or the or the or the Wizards. 
Uh, I thought they came out both those games really flat. And I think those flat starts, those slow starts, they've been a hallmark of the season. Uh, every single game, it feels like the Knicks get down by double digits by the end of the first half at some point. And um, that's a hard way to win games in the NBA because, you know, you play anybody, you get down double digits. It's a big deal. And I know there's a whole thing of like, well, you know, the three ball is this thing now, so you can erase deficits fast. Yeah, but when you're always playing from behind, that takes a toll. And when you can never, like, I don't remember the last game the Knicks had that just was like 48 minutes of exactly how you expected it to be. You know, like, it's it feels like every single game, there has to be this like, like heroic run at some point where we go like all of a sudden we erase a 10 point deficit and make the game tight. And it's like, they just never handle their business. You know, like there's never a game where you just come out and it's like, we're just handling our business today. So uh, one, one thing that's notable on that note though is, and so it'd be interested if I don't, I haven't seen too much research on this, but it does seem like the Knicks stick with lineups for eight, 10, 12 minutes sometimes at a time. Um, and I wonder if that's affecting the energy level this year more than it did last. Um, because it does seem like we see a lot more teams stagger and, and run guys, run units for maybe four to six minutes at a time. Um, would be curious if you think that's a factor or if it's really just the Knicks need to you know, suck it up and, and show more consistent effort. No, I think that's I, that's certainly something that that uh, uh, is plausible. I don't think that there's um, kind of the the sort of fatigue threshold at at which you know performance starts to deteriorate is something that is kind of hard to research, but there's no reason to expect every player to have kind of the same profile that way. But it's certainly reasonable to expect that, like, the more you're playing guys, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14 minute stints, you know, you're going to get some, you're going to get some, you know, it's it's a long shift in hockey, right? You get, you know, you guy, you got first 20 seconds, guys can sprint all over the place. And then, okay, time to get to the bench and get someone else on the ice. Um, there, there's a little bit of that. And, you know, maybe it's because the Knicks didn't do do a little bit of line change substitution. Maybe that's what what brings it to mind. But I think that you know that that's sort of part and parcel with you mentioned. You know that this is part of the whole Kemba discussion. Is you get down ten points every game because your starters are getting you know their their faces kicked in. Um, just from a construction of a rotation standpoint, if you want to close with the bench guys, like constructing a rotation where they can play the minutes you want them to play and have them close games. Uh, that's actually gets, gets quite tricky. Just, okay, well, they come in at, at, you know, six minutes in the second, and then we want them to play 14, eight, like how much of the rest of the game do we want them to play and when do they get rest? And then you end up, you know, you get to the point three minutes left in the game and those guys, you know, maybe some of those guys have played basically, you know, 15 straight minutes. And that's probably not ideal, and certainly not ideal to do three times a week over a regular season. I mean, you know, this is Tibbs we're talking about. So not ideal from a, a sort of player maintenance standpoint is sort of uh, table stakes. But yeah, so I do think there's some of that. And that's why, you know, I, I tongue in cheek tweeted, you know, yesterday that maybe it wasn't maybe maybe it wasn't Kemba. And, you know, I think that like obviously I'm being cheeky, like he hasn't been um but part of that, like frankly, is the the way they're playing offensively has sort of um, exacerbated the areas where he and Fournier are downgrades from last year's backcourt, while not really um, encompassing. They're not, they're not offsetting it. They're not. Yeah, offsetting it. And, and, and it's, but the way they're playing isn't allowing them to encompass those things. Like the first couple of games of the year, um, 
they were like their, their offense was was sort of unrecognizable from last year, just in terms of the fluency that they got from one action to the other, and they flowed mm-hmm. from side to side, and and the ball moved, and you know, and that's an environment where you know Fournier can you know use his movement shooting, where Kemba can you know get in, get into the you know get out get moving off pick and rolls and hit pull up jump shots and find people. But now it's very station to station. It's one action, and it's laborious. And then, and then Randall's trying to back a guy down, which, frankly, I think he's really struggled with. Um, he he's had games where he's he's been effective, but I don't think it's done much to unlock anybody else. Um, and yeah. and really, the, the the games against the Bulls, where it's like he's got like for most of the games, he's got you know Lonzo and especially Caruso on him, and yeah, he's getting something, but he's he's having to take 12 seconds to do it every time while four guys stand and watch. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a lot going on there um, in terms of, it's kind of weird. Like I agree with you, the offense at the start of the year to now, it feels like a total regression and I'm not exactly sure what was the first domino to impact that. But um, you know, look, I, I think some of that is also like at the start of the season, teams in general kind of like you're everybody's kind of feeling things out right to start the season um and i think maybe the knicks benefited from teams not necessarily i don't want to say locked in but not necessarily being totally in tune with what they're trying to do um and i think that benefited them but also um you know to your point about randall like there's been this weird push and kind of like a weird i don't want to say tug of war but it's like it feels like at times like, and, and, and yeah, like I, I agree with you, Randall, he pounds the rock sometimes and it's very annoying, but I actually feel like sometimes part of the issue is not necessarily just that, but I feel like that's almost a manifestation of nothing happening. Like, yeah. like there, there's nothing actually happening. So then you're like, okay, well, I guess we'll just give it to Julius. And then it's like, Julius gets the ball and it's like, okay, well, if like, this is just what I do. Like, this is what I am as a player. So if you're just giving me the ball against a set defense, like this is what we're going to do. And um, I, I kind of wonder if there was, if there was like last year, the Knicks had a very, very specific identity and how they played, right? Like it was very, very much like Julius is the point forward. We're going to run everything through him. And this is what we do. And it wasn't like, obviously the Knicks finished what 23rd, I think in offensive ring. It wasn't like, they were a great offense, but you felt like they knew what the fuck they were doing on offense. And this year when I watched them, I actually don't think they like, it feels like they don't know what they're doing. And I know the bench was awful yesterday, but you really see that in the discrepancy between how the bench plays and how the starters play because the bench, it's like they had an identity, which was forged last year. Right. And it's the same, it's the same group. So like, even if like Noel is really struggling right now, he's playing really bad. I think he's hurt. I don't know why he's actually even active right now. He looks terrible. Uh, but even though Noel is going through it, like collectively as a group, they're able to overcome that, right? Because they're like the other four guys are still there. They're playing well and they, they kind of know how to play off each other. Whereas with the starters, it looks like five fucking strangers. And it's bizarre because RJ and Randall and Mitch all had plenty of minutes together last year. And actually the last two years, like for the previous two years. So it's not like this is the first time those three are playing together, but it does feel like because you introduced Kemba and Fournier who are to your point, like to, to get the benefit of what they bring to the table, you have to alter how you play, right? Like you can't play the same way. And 
it does feel like there's a struggle going on. And I don't think it's like, like to me, like I've seen a, a ton of people every time I, it's like fucking annoying during games. I'll like tweet something and it's like, this is a Julius issue. He wants to, he wants the ball. He wants to be the guy. And like, I do think like maybe there's some of that, but that's not like when I watched the Knicks, I don't feel like the issue is that Julius is trying to like, you know, fucking get into a dick measuring contest with everybody and like prove that he's the guy. I feel like that is the result of them lacking a clear identity and style of play offensively. Um, and Stacey, I'm just going to throw it to you. Like, I don't know, like maybe I'm, I, I'm open to being completely wrong about that. That's just what I feel and see now. And I don't think like, like I still stand by the fact that it was right to bench Kemba. I don't give a shit. Like I, I don't think he was part of the solution. Um, but obviously the, the problems go deeper than just like, well, now we bench Kemba, everything is great now. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts on all that. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'll say is I think it's worth noting. Um, what's, I mean, one thing that's been puzzling and Seth brought this up is how, how amazing that offense looked early in the year. I mean, it feels like way long ago, but the spacing, the pace, everything seemed and even, even Kemp, that was where you started to see because of his poor defense, the Kemba on off numbers start to be alarming. But I don't think people were quite as out on him because the whole offense as a whole was was moving really well. Mm-hmm. That has come back for stretches. Um, I think the last week, even against Denver, there was sloppiness and there were a lot of turnovers. But um, especially in the first half, at times you could see some real flow. Um, the other, and then against Chicago and Brooklyn, I think they were kind of because of the way matchups were dictated, because of the way those teams play defense. You're not really running a lot, whole lot of, um, you know, a lot of motion and a lot of those kinds of plays, right? They, Why they, not? <laughs> uh, well, because yeah. well, against Chicago and Brooklyn, right, they were undersized, right, so we wanted to attack those matchups. And two, they have much better team defenders than they do on ball. I mean, is that fair to say or? Yeah, but I think that's I think you you but I, I think the, this is this is a very Tibbsy trap of of sort of no we oh well no, that's a that's a great alliteration this, this, I, no, it's, it's it's oh we match up go at it rawr. and yeah. and that's you know and then you get like what you're seeing from from Randall which is and there's not there, you're not really giving yourself a chance for you know any sort of system buckets you're like oh well we have everything's an hard everything yeah, is really yeah. hard you're not and 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 i and think then you is, end up with fatigue too right because if yeah. they're yeah no so this is i mean this is you know this is unfortunately part of what you bought with with tibs just cuz this is this is a, this has been a staple and like can, you I, know, can I ask you a question Seth? Yeah, um so I, I know, I know Stacy will be familiar, familiar with this. Um, but when the, the Knicks, they had that 54 win season in 2012, 13. And one of the things that was like levied at Woodson pretty consistently as a criticism during that span was like the Knicks consistently played better on both ends when injuries necessitated certain things like Carmelo playing at the four, right? Uh, like when stat was, cause stat wasn't healthy. So all of a sudden Carmelo had to play the four and all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, we're like this awesome three-point bombing offense, and it's great. Um, and and I think this ties in a little bit to what you're talking about in terms of like the Tibbs trap of like, we have this awesome matchup, like let's just go fucking attack that. Um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because there's been a lot of discussion of like, look, let's. I think it's fair to say this, whatever your thoughts on Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel and Todd Gibson and whatever, I think it's fair to say that the production they're getting from those guys at the five isn't what 
they got last year or what they thought they were going to get this year. And meanwhile, you have Obi Toppin playing fucking great ball, um, but he can't play a lot because Tibbs refuses to play him and Randall together for meaningful minutes most of the time. And I'm just kind of curious, like, like, do you think some of the, I mean, obviously systemic stuff like game plan wise and how Tibbs approaches things are issues, but like, do you think that some of this is just like also the fact of he's not playing the good players as much as he should? I mean, there's there's definitely something to that. There's I'm I'm a big in general. I don't have a specific idea for the Knicks, but in general, I'm a big proponent of the you know the take the club out of the bag trade. You know, it's the yeah. uh, you know I, the, the uh, well you can't start paying you at first base because I just traded him. It's like that. That's <laughs> just watch that movie a couple days. Yeah. Ago. So, um, yeah, I think that 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 you know being forced to start Alec Burks that's probably helped a little. Like. Because he's, he's he's like of the guys who are playing well offensively on this team, he's it's like him and quickly is. Would you go? Would you go further than that, Rose? Yes, but Rose, he's had a, yeah. Rose has slumped of late, but yeah. yeah okay, so you have three small guards who are who are all playing well, but so. Yeah. Um, but no, I think in general there's there is sort of a, um, and this is, might be something uh, a similarity to Woodson is like to go to that it's an uncomfortable thing to go to that more open style because it's, it's more variant, you know, yeah. it's not just yeah. like variance in terms of statistical terms. It's just like, you know, you get some good plays, but some really bad plays. And I think, um, cause this is not a Tibbs specific thing, but coaches in general can be pretty control freaky, control yeah. freaky because they sort of intuit that they don't actually have that much control over what happens. So they are very reluctant to see the control that they do have. And so, like you, it's not even that it's not working. It's like you see a couple ugly mistakes. Like whoa, whoa, whoa! We got to pull back here. We got to be solid. We gotta, and and I think that you know that's probably a similarity between the two coaches. Is like yeah, it worked better when they were wide open and 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 chucking threes and playing Carmelo at the at the four. But that was it was a little too it was a little too open, a little too unpredictable for you know for a guy who wants to feel like he's in control. You know, and I think yeah, that yeah. I think there's some of that too. Um, I mean, that's part of if, like you say, you want motion and 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 creativity on offense. Um, you know, maybe maybe Steve Kerr goes too far in 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 terms of allowing mistakes, but you have to like you have to give guys a chance to make the 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 uh, you have to give guys permission to make mistakes to get the good things also. But but even when you talk about a team like that, right? I mean, it's tough against teams that switch everything. It can be tough to cons- that. That's kind of what I was getting at with Chicago and Brooklyn, right? Given how much those teams switch, that kind of can gum up those things. And well, the Knicks did have I, a lot I, of turnovers I, in the beginning of those two games. I mean, and, I think to this me, sets to point. Me, like, just like the the Brooklyn one too. Like I I actually thought like just I know that you're not you're speaking more broadly, Stacey, but like I actually thought the offense was fine in that game like i I thought all but like six minutes in the third yeah yeah and i I thought some of that in the third was like oh more of a uh, an issue of kind of like the personnel like like he just randomly because tibbs like you know this goes to Seth's point about like tibbs being like kind of a control freak like he's so reticent to break up that bench group that his pivot from rj being ruled out because you know i looked like he had the runs um (laughs) So congrats to him for not pulling a Paul Pierce. Um, but 
it, it his pivot was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just start Grimes in his place. And it was like, you could just see the Grimes. Like, that's hard for a guy to do, a rookie, where you're just like, yeah, dude, go play in this super intense game right now. Like, just start start for me. And it's like, like I thought that was part of that problem more so than... Here, let me introduce you to James Harden. Yeah, like, it was like it was just like bananas. It was like, how is that your pivot right now when you've got, like, you know, Quickly's been playing well all year. Rose has been playing well for most of the year. Like, these guys have all been playing well for most of the year. Why don't you just fucking start one of them in the second half instead of being like, hey, Rook, go to, like, like exactly what and you're you saying. Can, and you can mix and match a little bit and, and make sure you preserve that, that bench integrity too, right? Yeah, it was like, it was uh, actually it, crazy. There was one possession where, like, Grimes ended up getting switched on Kevin Durant, and you can see in his head, like, you could literally watch him, like, on the floor, and you're like, in his head, he's like, holy shit, I'm guarding Kevin Durant right now. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I once played in a pickup game with Randy Moss and that happened and I got switched off on him and it was like, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> this is, this is not right. Uh, but yeah, so I can, I, I, you know, I can, I think I can relate in terms of the level of like athletic mismatch. there. Did you give Randy buckets? Uh, he, so he did, he made like a big jab step, one dribble and I kind of stuck with him and I think thought in my head, yeah, that was pretty good. And then he kind of took like a half step back and rose up and leaned back as he was shooting. And there was like 15 feet of airspace between us. And he just like drops in like a 16 footer. And it's just like, I turned to the people I was there with. And it's like, ah, and they're like, yeah, what do you do? So yeah, there's a longer story. We don't have time to get into, but I, but, so uh, it's better. It's, there, there are stories that I, that are better told offline than on. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely interested in that um but so yeah i mean i think that kind of to that point also it does feel like tibbs has had a couple of overreactions this year um so early in the season the story of the knicks was there were a couple games they lost i believe the first orlando game falls in this um bucket but they were taking 40 40 i think maybe even 53s in one of those games and they weren't hitting right and i think there was a lot of discussion was all right to miss yeah, you have to like if you want to be a team, if if you think that the best way for you to play is to you know play you know get you know let Randall play play you know point forward and let him create and spread around him play four out around him and have those guys shoot threes. You have to say the nights where you go, you know, ten of forty, you have to be okay with that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. okay, if we don't like, do we have the shooters to play this way? Yes. Are there going to be nights where they just don't make shots? Yes. Does that mean you want the same shots the next game? You should. But if you don't give your team per- permission to to have bad shooting nights, then you kind of reel it back, and now you just it's it's you know you get this this very grind ball that you know too often it too often at least when I've watched it yeah. seems like it's every possession is just you it's know, like a it's grind. a battle right yeah. it's yeah. like a fucking struggle and, and, and I think the other the over the other overreaction is. The last couple of games against Chicago, they had I think ten turnovers in the first quarter. Yeah, that and was, then that was insane to watch. And then there were, and it's even Derek Rose weirdly of late has been getting stripped when he drives, which is kind of um, that's a new thing because he's probably one of the, he's probably the best ball handler on the team. And so I think that for after that, Tim started to go more to slowing the ball down, not pushing as much in transition. But I, I did so I did want to mention here because your half court offense is so great. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> well, it's really get, fluid. And, well, he, he doesn't uh, want turnovers, right? So I'm I'm, I'm just describing. <laughs> yeah, the, I know, I know. No, I, I it's one of those things where where you can explain the rationale without without really agreeing with it. Yeah, but but it's, just to just to give. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Shwin. I, I, all I was going to say is, um, you know, like 
what you're talking about with three point shooting and stuff like that, like an overcorrection to missing shots. It's like, like it's really weird because Tibbs, like his entire ethos is kind of like, yes, winning at all costs and all this kind of shit. But like at the heart of it, at least last year, what we saw was like he was like very process oriented. Um, like yes, the results matter, and that's kind of like what guides the process, like what he thinks the process needs to be. But it was process oriented. And I feel like this year he's coaching in a very results oriented way. And I think that's trickling down like it, like guys are playing so tight. That's what it like. And except like you mentioned this with Randall, like that's what it looks like. It, it, it feels like they're playing like the weight of the world is on their shoulders and like there's no freedom or like there's no like joy. Like, I mean, I've talked about this so much and I feel like a total fucking cornball when I say it, but like, no. It's, there's, it's like a, there's like a lack of joy in how they play and like like it feels like everything is a chore and and it's hard and it's not fun and last year even though the Alfred Payton minutes sucked even though the offense wasn't great even though the talent wasn't there and all this kind of shit like you felt like every night there was an actual joy in how they played um and now it just it feels like very very different and i know like the uh, there's a lot of people that are like Oh, like empty gyms help them, and maybe there's something to that, but I think it goes beyond that. Like it, it, there's something, like, uh, you know, like it's not, you know, look, you're you're a numbers guy, obviously, Seth. Um, uh, but like, I, I think like the numbers, they they won't, like, there's something inexplicable at times in terms of like. Like you know, like there is joy can, can in basketball, in? right? Yeah, can please I, jump so in. So let's yeah. let's talk about like let's 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 take this out of the realm of the Knicks and talk about like two other teams that you know even had more success than the Knicks did last year, but have had very different seasons this year, and it's been sort of along those lines. Um, you know, the Suns and then the Hawks. Um, and this is this is something that I've kind of been harping on recently because you remember that there was the um. There was the, the the quote that Trey gave early in the year, where it's not it's a, it is a factually correct thing, but it also indicates sort of a team not in the right sort of space. Mm-hmm. It's like the regular season's kind of boring. It's like yeah, like and and it's sort of for the the Knicks. It's it's there's a little bit of that too. Um, okay, okay, we you know we can do whatever in the regular season, but the playoffs sucked last year, and we got to improve on that. Um, and so if you're if you've got that in your mind, like you're not in the moment. And mm-hmm. the Hawks are like, ah, when we get back to the conference finals again, we're going to do it differently this time. <laughs> and you you, con- you contrast that with the Suns, and then the Suns are just like, they are, you know, they are uh, like um, uh, Dave Dufour, my podcast partner on Nerdish, she wrote, um, you know, described them as being a, a regular season wins factory. But part of that is they are playing with that joy. They are, yeah. they are taking, they are taking um, uh, satisfaction in doing stuff right, play in, play out, game in, game out. Like DeAndre Eaton is flexing on people. Like you he's know, he's been great. He's uh, awesome. I mean, he was he was he was pretty terrible on on Friday against Golden State. Yeah. That was that was a huge like it was. He didn't even look like the same player as he was uh, when they played on Tuesday. Draymond was awesome in that game. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, no, one custom like it was. Uh, it was very much a role players play better at home kind of thing where mm-hmm. like one mm-hmm. one Tuscano Anderson. Was Gary Payton was looking like Ray Allen game, and then and then and Toscano Anderson's like you know gamming on people, (laughs) but um, he's a fun player. But that's I mean he you know 
he's he's a very he's a very active player sometimes the activity it goes goes in the wrong directions but right be that as it may but i think that's that's the, that's a contrast and i think the knicks are probably falling more on the ah uh, we gotta you know we gotta improve on what we did last year and the weight of of like last year and and is 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 you know it, like the so weight is weighing on them you, you're you, you are you're a united fan aren't you yes i mean I, good win today but yes okay yes, look but like yes but like but like um there is something like you know you're talking about like how like it feels like the discussion with everything that the knicks have done and are doing is framed all in relation to last year and it's like like with united like when like you can always like everything the conversation is always like well when you know sir alex was here and when Louis like and it's like who gives a shit what happened then like that's so irrelevant to right now and like that's kind of, i think that's like the knicks in a weird way or not a weird way but it's like in a different way it's like the focus is all about like to your point it like it's all about like well how can we improve on last year and it's like who gives a fu- fucking like who gives a fuck about last year at this point like it is so pointless to talk about last year because last year is done it is over and we need to move the fuck on so and Here's and, the funny yeah. thing about that is the, is they're still like up until like this the, this weekend basically they were still basically on pace for if you recall I think we talked over the summer and my prediction for them was they were going to be a better team with the worst record yeah and I and and that's still very much in play for them to be like overall a a better team than they were last year while not you know what you know. You know, being a you know, if they'd have played at last year's level, they'd be like a like win loss wise, they'd be like a forty six forty seven win team over eighty two. This year, they'll, they'll probably end up in like the forty three forty four. But especially if kind of they 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 are able to sort of get out of their own way a little bit, like they're going to be a better team. They're going to be a a more a, a and by better team, it's like a team that is more able to adjust and do things in the playoffs. They're like. A better team is a team that doesn't like lose meekly to an upstart Atlanta team, you know, and so and and yeah, that that's still framing it in relation to last year. But I think you know we're all sort of dancing around like you know it's, they're they're so hung up on results that like it's there isn't enough like hey let's grind good offensive possessions. It's like no, gotta gotta score. I got to make something happen. It's like, well, no, like play play basketball and things will happen. You have good players. Yeah. Let, let those things take over. And it seems like the guys who are, again, the guy who seems like he's doing that the most is Burks. And to some extent Toppin, but he's a, but he's not a guy who has the ball in his hands enough for that to really like, you know, re, uh, really be a driving factor in how they play. Toppin just plays you, like he's done excessive amounts of cocaine all the time. It's pretty <laughs> awesome to watch. If, no, if you I enjoy him. Look at, yeah. <laughs> if you look at the shot quality also, the Knicks – so the Knicks have improved on offense. I think it, it can be tough to see. Uh, but just, you know, if you look at uh, – by the shot quality metric, this is from PBC's P-Stats, they're fourth in the league. Um, it actually tied at second. If you look at their rimmer three frequency, um, they are, I believe, ten, yeah, tenth in the league. Um, so they've been generating higher quality of attempts than they were last year, right? Um, Julius himself has really is, is actually taking the ball to the rim a lot more, uh, and he's cut down on the mid range shooting. Um, you know, so he's he's maintained his three point rate, but his attempts at the rim have gone from sixteen to twenty eight. 
Um, so there are improvements to the point to your point. Um, it's just um, you know they they tend to second guess themselves. Um, so I think those are valid things. The bigger concern for the Knicks is that uh, all of those metrics are horrendous on defense, right? Um, I think they're 29th in shot quality. Uh, they're 29th in terms of they, they give up the second most attempts at the rim or in, or three. I think just if you look at only rim attempts, they're a little bit better. They're like eighth, eighth worst. Um, but it does seem like the defense is the bigger thing. Um, I mean, do, is that really just because they lost Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock or uh, is it Mitch's weight gain? Like, what do you think are some of the factors there? Because that seems to be the bigger issue. We can, we can talk a lot about, you know, how their offense is not, is not cutting it. And, you know, Tibbs needs to trust it more, but the defense is what's really sank. Right. And are there fixes for that? Or is this kind of just who they are now? I, mean, I, think, I don't think, you know, it's, it's a little bit like last year. I, you know, uh, we debated uh, whether they were they were they were as kind of good as their as their top line numbers were, and you know, uh, you know, you guys didn't like the answer I gave last year. Well, this year I don't think they're I don't think they're like from a defensive talent perspective they, they they'll, they'll be better than that. I think again it's it's last year that um, there was almost a little bit of act as if like they got some of the good the good uh, shooting for opponent shooting fortune at the beginning of the year and they're like yeah we defend like you know i, I like the boiler room reference we're def- we defend at a high level what's that sorry i said i like the boiler room reference of act as if yeah I mean, but yeah so so but that allowed them to you know in a in a system that requires like you know ludicrous levels of commitment you get that success it's easier to do this year they scuffle a little bit and now there's you know you like again i haven't i haven't i haven't seen a game this year where i thought that their effort per se was lacking i think there's a lot of times where it's it's misdirected yeah. and the execution is poor and and i think that like um, it's easier to stick to the system when the system is "quote unquote" working. Even if like working means the other team is missing open threes, you stick to the system and you make some tweaks, and all of a sudden you're not giving those up anymore. So your defense actually, you know, starts to match the the, the early season numbers. Um, so this year they've kind of gone the other way. Like they've they've you know some guys have hit some shots and and they're giving up. You know they're not. Play, being able to play a set defense as much because they're not making shots on offense and then they're not making shots on offense. So they're, you know, wanting to make a play on defense. And, you know, these, this is funny. I'm, I'm, I'm the numbers guy, right? And I'm, I'm doing all this touchy feely stuff, but this, <laughs> but this stuff is real. Like the, like it's a, you know, well, they're humans at the end of the day. Yeah. So, and, 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 yeah. and, you know, basketball is very much a flow game yeah. and the, these, the sort of the, the flow of games was in their favor last year. Yeah, like, look, you're you're talking about flow, and and that stuff obviously is very real. Um, I kind of wonder, like, you know, look, Stacey, yeah, like you have a, you you had an idea of here, you know, stretch five, like I guess if you want to ask him about that, because I do think some of the flow issues are also related to kind of personnel. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's been um, on the Strickland, you know, um, we have Jeff Rasmussen who's been. Um, clipping a lot of games, and one thing he's been harping on a little bit, um, and I think Schwinn, you've you've generally, I think, not necessarily agreed with this in the past, but I think maybe you're you're changing. 
Um, there's the idea that Randall really needs more spacing. Um, like either whether that means he's playing the five or you're playing him next to some kind of a stretch five, or at least someone who's a threat on offense with the ball in their hands. I, I think even Taj could kind of fill that role. Um, but you know, the idea that you need to play Randall with someone like that to really get the most out of him on offense. Um, so I'd be curious, Seth, if, you know, if that's, you know, if you think that's overblown, if there's ways to make that happen, even if you're using a rim runner next to him. Um, but yeah. I mean, I maybe, but the biggest thing with Randall is like, I think he just needs to play quicker. Like, I think that's, that's the, that, that's the biggest thing is there's, there's, you know, last year he was so good at making tough shots when he had to, that it's almost like he started this year. I'm just going to make tough shots. And, and it, you know, he hasn't made tough shots at the same rate this year, which was, you know, eminently predictable. Um, but it, but he's not he's not getting the quick, easy ones. You know, the like you know the 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 Suns always call it point fiving, and he's not point fiving ever. He's more five point owing, where it takes five seconds for him to to decide what he's going to do with the ball. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the the lack of offensive flow is coming from. So that's you know, and that's and as you said earlier, Schwinny, That's that's you know. It's not just a him thing because if there's if he gets the ball and there's four people you know standing and watching them with their hands on their knees, what else is he gonna do? Um, so, but I think that's the that's the biggest thing. But in terms of yeah, more space is always good. You know, have, putting better players around him you know is better. <laughs> All else being equal, so yeah, I don't think that would hurt. But at the same time, I think it I. A dynamic rim runner, which certainly Noel isn't, uh, Taj isn't at this point in his career, and um, Robinson's been hurt, and maybe this is something that's been a little bit lost with the added bulk as well. Um, that that hasn't really been as much this year, and it's it's not like Randall was a, ever a big like run a pick and roll, hit a pocket pass guy. So that's. Um, it's more that if you can run like a like a like a you know more traditional pick and roll, whether that's like you know or a DHO with Fournier or something like that, or or have Burks come off a screen and then you know hit Randall on the backside to 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 make a play with like a defender closing out on him. Um, that's where a rim runner like would would uh, would create space and 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 create some creases in the defense for him. But, but if, I mean, it's, I think- if, it, if it is just going to be stand and watch Julius, yeah, somebody who can stand at stand you know outside the arc and, and, and be guarded, it would be better than, you know, having a, you know, a okay finisher in the short corner. Yes. I mean, I, yeah. And I, I think that kind of to that point, right. Uh, you know, you know, if you can play Julius at the five or next to someone who can shoot, you can also use him as a role man more, which the Knicks have only been able to do sporadically. Um, but bring this up because, um, you know, we've been talking trades a little bit and you know that would be kind of Tibbs refuses to play Obi and Randall together consistently um so either you can force his hand maybe you know that maybe this is the Carlos Pena thing right if you trade Noel um you know you, you force him to play Obi and but you know a guy like Miles Turner <laughs> no, that just means that that Taj plays 29 minutes a night yeah, until, like it, <laughs> until I gotta say look this tip shit is fucking driving me nuts because it's like you know I I actually it's the car you bought yeah, I mean, but it's like I, I have a lot of patience for the idea of like you need room protection and these guys do that. And like that's fine. Like I, I'm if that's your ethos, if that's like kind of what you 
view your team as being as its identity. Um, I'm okay with that. But like when these guys are just like Mitch yesterday, this motherfucker got beat down the court by Nikola Jokic. Like I can understand Nikola Jokic busting your ass, you know, in the post or it's hard to govern, cover him in pick and pop situations. I can understand all that. But when you're just like flat out getting beat down the floor by Nikola Jokic, that's a problem. And when Nerlens Noel can't move laterally in space, that's a problem. And when Todd Gibson is 36 year old and getting ejected, like that, like these are like the the problems here. At some point, like you just have to play the guy who's playing well. And I, it's like really frustrating where like you can keep banging your head against the wall. But until those guys actually play well, it's pointless. Like, they're not giving you the thing that you want them to give you, right? Like, Mitchell Robinson, um, maybe it's the weight game. Maybe he, need, like, he needs to play himself back into shape, all these kind of things. Fine. That's, that's fine. But, like, he isn't doing that right now. So why are you insistent on playing? Like, yesterday was beyond frustrating because Nerland's, like, to me, watching him, Stacey, I don't know if you agree or disagree, he just looks like it's pretty obvious to me that he's not a hundred percent there physically. Um, and when you're playing against the nuggets who without Jokic on the floor this year, they're basically like the worst team in the NBA. Um, when you have a matchup like that and they're playing like, you know, fucking Zeke Naji and hey, Jamichael Green. At the five. Zeke, Zeke Naji's I like him, but he's, but you're, I'm talking about defensively. Like <laughs> these right. guys are not like elite rim protectors. I mean, he looked like him. Chris Bosh against the Knicks. So yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 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 but it's like, why, like if there's ever a time to just be like, well, Nerlens doesn't have it today. Mitch doesn't have it today. Let's just play Obi and Randall together and see what the fuck happens. That's it. And then, the only time he went to it in that game was when we were down fucking 30 in the fourth. And like, yes, it's meaningless, pointless minutes, but like they actually all of a sudden were able to get to the rim. Like they were able to like do things that they were not doing the entire game. And that is like what is driving me crazy because the actual sample, the actual sample of Obi and Randall playing together has been really promising. It's like, I think they're like a net, they're definitely a net positive on the season. And Yes. Do you lose something in rim protection? Absolutely. Do you lose something uh, on the defensive glass? Sure. Uh, but the gains offensively are real. And also, like, you know, this is another thing where Tibbs shows you, I mean, his kind of, like, from, from stubbornness. And... I was saying, what are you getting from Noel defensively, right? Yeah, you're not getting anything right like, now, and like he, I, mean, I have some sympathy for him because he yeah. looks like he's been rushed back right. from injury. No, if he, I mean like the the thing that makes like Nerlens Noel a really good defensive player is he can protect the rim, but he's also can move on the perimeter and, and get his hands on balls and 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 be disruptive sort of all over the floor. But if he can't move, you don't, you're not actually getting any of that. And even in the best of times, he's a limited offensive player. So it's just if if you're taking away the stuff he's good at. Because of his his where he's at physically, yeah, I agree with you. It's like it's you're just not getting anything. Yeah, yeah. for this season, just to Shrinik's point, um, Obi and Julius have shared the floor for seventy minutes together. They have a net rating, so that's a small sample. Um, there's probably going to be some selection bias in there, um, but with that caveat, they have a sixteen point nine net rating, uh, offensive rating of one nineteen point seven two, and a defensive rating of one hundred two point eight two. Um, so both pretty solid numbers and, 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 and even the defense, it's like, you're playing them 
in the same exact scheme, like some of the defensive issues are on Tibbs because it's like you have Julius playing drop coverage. What the fuck do you think is going to happen, dude? Like, like Julius in drop coverage, as it is, he's not the he's not good at executing that at all. He's way better at switching. Right? Yeah, exactly. And like Obi is pretty good on switching. Like, so why are you? And the entire point of like playing them right together should be we can speed up the game. We want to. We want it like. You know, Seth, you mentioned this. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you mad. By the way, uh, I just, I just while we're talking, I mean, it's, it's not a huge sample of possessions, but I just pulled this up on cleaning the glass. Um, when those two are on the floor together, uh, then forty two percent of the Knicks shots are, are coming at the rim. Yeah, yeah. they're shooting sixty two percent from yeah. two is what I'm seeing on PBP stats. Ninety so ninth percentile of lineups. Eleven point six percent of their shots are corner threes. Which is ninety second percentile. So it's just like, you know, it's it's. A small I want to size. shoot myself, Seth. But, <laughs> but if you're talking about, hey, look at look at this shot profile. That's good. Um, <laughs> and and you know, it's only sixteen point five percent of their shots, which would be in the lowest percentile of the league, have been from you know between the rim and and three. So it's just like is, this is a lineup that has produced in you know it's one hundred twenty eight possessions. So you don't want to go crazy and overinterpret it but at the same time in that sample good shots have abounded for them yeah yeah it's just like and it's like sometimes you just you know numbers are telling you exactly what you're seeing and it's like when you watch them together you're like this looks good like this this feels pretty good why don't like let's just do the good thing uh and tibbs is like no we need we need to get nerlens right we got to get mitchell robinson going and like yeah we do need to get those guys going but while they're not going, can we do the good thing? Can we do the good thing in the meantime? Because, um, you know, look, like if the entire thing is about the playoffs, right? Like we, like, well, we have to get better for the playoffs. Like part of that is finding different ways to play. Like this is something I like always have loved about Teron Lou is his willingness to just like try shit. And it's kind of it's kind of crazy that and they were on the same staff in Boston, try, right? Try, like try stuff, and if it fails, it's okay. Yeah, like it's and it's so it's so funny that they were on the same staff together in Boston that won a championship Which, because like they, I think they're like so like maybe their core principles are similar like in terms of like we like isoing on offense all the time. Um, but well, I mean, Ty also has you know two of the ten best ISO players in the game. Right, right, right. Like, I, mean, I, year, I love Ty. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love Teron Lou. I think he's a I, he's. I, I mean, I think he's a, he's he's. I think he's pretty clearly in the upper echelon of coaches in the NBA. He's my favorite coach in the NBA. I've been pretty vocal about this. I think he's like in, his in-game adjustments are fucking amazing. Um, but like, it's just like sometimes I'm like, like, how are you? I know you're looking at the numbers, Tibbs. Like, I know he is. Like, that's what makes it even more frustrating is because I know he knows the numbers. But he's so stubborn about like, well, I know the numbers, but this is what I know. Like in my head, I know this is what we need to win. And I'm just like, yeah, but like Nolan's can't move right now. And Mitch is playing fat right now. Like, can we can we try the other thing? Can we try the other thing? Also, um, if there's a, you know, a consistent trend in recent playoff history, isn't it that like mediocre bigs get played off the floor? Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We saw last. We saw last year firsthand. Yeah, like, like Taj was was your only playable big, really, in that series, and that's yeah. you know, and he's you know physically not the same place he was last year, and also he's you know has has some miles on him. Yeah, we we overworked him to start the year. Like that's yeah. part of the problem, right? Is like you only get so many minutes out of these older guys, right? Like you you can't 
you got to like cherish those minutes where you got to save them even. Um, and we use them all up because in a lot of ways, because of Tibbs's unwillingness to adapt a little bit more with the lineups, but enough of shitting on Tibbs. Uh, I do. Can I, can I be, pot- yeah. can I, can I, can I give you guys a little bit of a pick me up though? Yes. Like, again, this is, it's, it is because like the framing of this around expectations of better than last year, blah, blah, blah. Like, from where this franchise was, like, if, okay, you, you can, like, the path of, okay, last year was maybe a little bit of a sugar high in terms of, like, some of the regular season stuff. And then, you know, you guys went crazy, you know, talking with bing bonging and, and shit like that at the beginning of the year. <laughs> I which, hate bing bong. You know, well, uh, <laughs> it's okay because it's all gone. It's, you know, it's disappeared, like, you know, the, 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 the imaginary friend in Inside Out. Uh, you know, you don't have kids. You haven't seen that movie. Uh, um, well, I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, no. So like, just the, the the direction of like where the franchise is going. Big picture, you should be pretty happy about stuff. Like, yeah, this is the like like the point I made early in the week before being a little snarky about like them still getting you know their teeth kicked in without Kemba is like. Hey, the fact that you're willing to recognize this isn't working and pull the plug is why it's a why you can make a a a decent a low low why a gamble on a player like Kemba is low risk for you at like the 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 the, the salary number they're paying you. It's like mm-hmm. okay, that didn't work. Let's move on. Um, and I think that overall, like in terms of building this team, the process under Leon Rose has so obviously been superior to anything you guys have had since the late nineties. Yeah. Legitimately. Like in terms of 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 you know just who is on the team. Like even if you okay, you can you can say whatever you want about like was was Toppin the best pick and he's an older rookie, blah blah blah. Like, okay, there's cl- there's clearly something there and and that was at least a reasonable pick. Like quickly where he was picked, knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, Grimes has been hasn't played much, but you have to have liked what you've seen so far. Oh, I love what I've seen. From yeah, him. and and you know the and and you know we haven't seen we haven't seen the other the other young guys really at all. But but you know they, they at least in summer league really look promising. So you know, well, Rokas has they, we drafted him in the second round. He, I mean, he's obviously not with the Knicks or even in America right now. Yeah, uh, but he's been great over in Barca from what I've seen and read, um, which look like, obviously you don't know how that'll always translate, but like, yeah, generally well, if you're well, speaking, no, if you're playing the second best league in the world, scenario, really? Cause, yeah. cause it's like, that's like, Hey, you know, if we need it, we have a first round draft pick. Yeah. And it's like, also like, he's getting good on somebody else's yeah. time. That's a great business. Awesome. Like I'm happy. Like let's, yeah. let's do more of that. So um, I, I yeah. think, so, you know, while you're a little, you're, you're antsy about where you were this season, how long was it, would it have been ago that, that you would have been, Dying for eleven and twelve. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. eleven and twelve, knowing you should be playing better. Like even if you were eleven and twelve, you'd have been like, "This is awesome. We're we don't we're, we don't totally suck." And now it's like, "This is terrible. We kind of suck." And you know, just you know, take take a step back. I think again, I think your franchise is in better hands than it's been in for two decades. So you know. You know, asking asking fans to lower the temperature is always you know a bit rich, but a little bit tough. But it's you know, you 
things are going to be okay. The kids are all right. Yeah. Uh, and I, look, I, I think I, you bring up a good point because I do think like short term, we can freak out about the things we're freaking out about. But like when you zoom out the lot, like, like I've seen, like, I think people are too like, Oh my God, we got to trade New Orleans. We got to trade Fournier. We got to do like, and it's, it's like, not look, the NFL. It's not, you can't, you yeah. can't in the NBA. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot live and die by every regular season game. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think like, also like, like these guys are like you don't actually need like you don't want to make a decision to improve your short term by affecting your long term detrimentally. Like like is it really worth it to start like, oh my god, we gotta get off Nerland's contract? Like Nerland's contract is not a big deal. I'm sorry, I just don't give a shit. Like it's it's basically two years seventeen million. The third year doesn't really matter because it's a team option. Um you don't which basically need to get off which basically makes him a walking trade ship at any point right. from like this from basically like next off season, he's a he's a, he's a he's a walking trade chip. So that's like again, this like like I don't know, we don't want to get too much into like the nitty gritty, but like that's that was whatever you thought about like the 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 off season this year. Like they gave themselves a lot of ability to make moves in the future. Uh, and I do look look let's let's switch gears here because I know that we want to talk a little bit about guys that we could potentially trade for. Um, a guy that I really like in terms of adding to that quota of, you know, like you said, walking trade ship. Um, and I think would actually help them in some ways, offensively, especially, uh, but also defensively. I think he would give them a certain ruggedness and switchability. Uh, Eric Gordon. I kind of like Eric Gordon a lot. I don't know. It's very weird, but like I watch him and I'm just like, why are you still on the Rockets, dude? Like, can you go to a team that matters, please? Like, I don't know. Am I, am I totally off on this? Because I just, I, I I've actually like, Prior to this season, I was kind of like, um, you know, I'm not sure. I didn't watch him a bunch last year, obviously. And I don't think he played a lot last year. Uh, but, like, I've, I've historically liked Eric Gordon, but I've always liked... But what does he give you that you're not getting from the plethora like, guard? So, so here's the thing. Like, I, I don't view it purely as what is he giving us that we don't have. I also view it as, like, I kind of like an $18 million expiring salary next year. That seems like a good thing. Um, and I do think that he gives you... Like, he's one of the best above-the-break shooters, and also just, like, the spacing he provides is very real, and yes, I would like that. Um, and, I think. and beyond just an above-the-break shooter, he's one of the more credible, like, deep shooters. Yes, yes. Like, there's guys who will take them, but there's not actually that many who will will make them at a higher high enough rate that, like, him standing that extra three feet beyond the arc actually improves your spacing. And he is historically been so, one of the guys, one of the, the on the short list of guys who do that. So, are you? What do you think of my idea of the Knicks should try to get Eric Gordon if they can get him for kind of cheap? Is that I mean, a thing that they should do? I'm a, I'm a little bit with Stacy in that, like he is a little duplicative. I think that, like certainly, like I've never been a, a an Evan Fournier fan, especially in like a playoff scenario. So I think like his physical robustness might be more suited to playoff basketball than Fournier, but you do have to you do have to recognize that your inve- your investment in Fournier is pretty substantial, mm-hmm. and so just replacing him is probably like not tenable. So I, I don't like I don't. I guess I don't like the, the way I think of it, it's just like how much does it get you, and what do you give up to get there? Is, yeah, like the 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 way I view Eric Gordon just based on how we're playing and things like that. 
I view him more as like, let's just put him where Burks is and move Burks back to the bench because that's what I think I would do if the Knicks. Like, I my idea has been like Tillman for Tita maybe like saving some money. Um, I think you're probably not getting a first for Eric Gordon. Cite sources, please. I don't believe you. <laughs> I I do think like like are we sure that. What's what are the Rockets ultimately going to get for Eric Gordon? Probably like a few second round picks. I don't think they're going to get a first for him. Um, could the Knicks do like Kemba, Knox, a few seconds for him? Do they have to throw in like a McBride or something like that? If they have to throw in a McBride, okay, maybe you walk away. But if it's just like we're giving you an expiring salary, if, you, if like if you turned a like you turned a second rounder into Eric Gordon. Would you yeah. be okay with that? Yes, hundred percent. And so, you know, as you know, as as intrigued as Mc, McBride has kind of been, as tre- as intriguing as he's been in sort of the glimpses of him was seen, like what's the functional difference there? Mm. Stacey, what are your thoughts? I know you're a big Deuce guy, so uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the contract <laughs> makes sense, but um, I yeah, I, I don't think I, I, I'm trying to find ways to not give quickly or Grimes minutes, to be honest. Um, I would rather, if they did want to move on from Fournier, or if they wanted to use him as a trip, I would prefer to shore uh, up other I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop that and say that, that that's <laughs> there is no chip there at the moment. Like, <laughs> like, like that's, you know, he's got, he's got too much left on his, on his deal for, for him to, to, I think, I, I think people like, people I mean, you do have the team option, right? So it's not, yeah. I mean, but it's it, but there still is is you know there's, there's two years left on this deal yeah. after this one. Yeah, if it's one, it's different. So like next year, he's probably a more valuable trade ship. And and he sort of is who he is. And you know what's a, what is the team that that like you know what we need is Evan Fournier. Like what does that team look like? <laughs> no, and frankly, like the Knicks being that team this summer was didn't it was it was sensible. And you know unfortunately, the way their their season has played out is they haven't got the best of him. And Further, unfortunately, is the best of him is a still a very mediocre and at times liabilitous. That's not a word, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, playoff player. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, but even if, if they were, if he wasn't to be in the rotation anymore, I would prefer to bump Grimes up, to put it flatly. I'm, I'm actually, I am a fan. I'd like to give him more minutes. Um, and, and I would prefer to try to shore up other parts of the roster. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at, Eric Gordon. Um, but if we did... I think I would, I would want a, I would, I think I would be, if I would be with you that I would want a, a pure wing or somebody who could be like a, a credible, like four or five who can, you know, if you, someone, someone, you know, maybe slightly more defensively robust than Toppin that you yeah. could, you could sort of pair in a, in a, you know, a, a, Two power forward lineup with Randall. Two power forward, no center lineup with Randall. So that's that's interesting because there is a name I had. There's two names that, as far as bigs that I wanted to discuss. And get your thoughts on one is Miles Turner. We can save that for later. But the person I think that fits what you just described extremely well is Christian Wood, who is on a pretty reasonable deal. I don't know that Houston would be itching to get rid of him, but yeah, I think he'd be a good fit. I think they're itching to get a few first round picks out of him. Maybe. Man, that's a. I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about like Eric Gordon's like joints exploding just by being exposed <laughs> to Tibbs, but man, I like, I do not think Christian Woods is a Tibbs type player. 
which you know that, just in terms of motor and all that's that that's, that's yeah. only yeah i think that's 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 you know it's just something you have to take into account when you're when you're trading for a guy right like there's the idealized way he could be used and then how was our coach actually going to use him and you know things will be said in meetings that then change once you get on the floor and that's again that's not a it's not a tib specific thing or anything like that it's just you know uh, people re- tend to revert to type and, you know, um, an offensive loosey goosey, not super physical. I mean, that's, I mean, if there's one thing like, you know, whatever else we want to say about Christian Wood, he's not, a, he's not a defensively physical player. And I think that that's, that, that's something that. But neither is a guy like Nerlens Noel, right? And he gives you some of that same I, I kind mean, of but, ability. But, but Nerlens is is much more more of a, a physical player than than Christian Wood is defensively, like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I just I really struggle with Tid. Like, I just can't like the idea I don't, of I don't like the idea. I just I'm just you know, it, this is this would not be the ideal situation for that to work out well for the acquiring team. Yeah, but I mean, from a personnel standpoint, I mean, I think he would fit well with Randall, and I think it becomes tough because if if Randall really is more effective within next to an, a, a guy who doesn't necessarily clog the paint, but you also need someone who can protect the rim, those guys are rare. Miles Turner is certainly one of them, but um, you know, it, it be, those guys are rare, right? Yeah. So it, it, I mean, that's, that's a word for it that was used too much around New York that I don't want to use here, yeah. but. Hey, you know, I bet you Dallas is willing to move. <laughs> no, no, not a bad idea. Okay, well, we won't, we won't, we won't talk about that then. <laughs> uh, Dallas is having a hell of a few games without Kristaps Porzingis, who clearly is a more valuable player than Luca at this point. So uh, maybe they should trade Luca to the Knicks. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Wood is Wood is such a. There's been like so many. I don't know what it is about Christian Wood, but I feel like people that know stuff about basketball, like that know things behind the scenes, hint at Christian Wood maybe not being the most serious player ever. Uh, and I really struggled to see like Tibbs being like, yeah, that's my guy. Uh, and look, like, should the Knicks cater to what Tibbs wants at all times? Probably not. But like, I don't know. Christian Wood to me feels like, like if I'm going to trade a bunch of shit for Christian Wood, then I'd rather just trade that and maybe a little bit more for somebody like Miles Turner. But who I mean, is you, you, basically you, what like if you're talking about blending what maybe maximizes Julius Randle and the general offense as a whole while also get, having a big who Tibbs will like love to play a lot, it's Miles Turner, right? Like elite rim protector who can shoot the three, like that's basically what you're looking for. Um or you know, I I think like I, I would just Christian Wood is just such a weird player to me. Uh, and I think it's like, you know, I don't know. Miles Turner, if I'm going to make a big move for a five, I would much rather be aggressive about trying to get Miles Turner than, than somebody like Christian Wood. That's kind of like where I'm at with it. Yeah. And just for, so, I mean, I think that there would be kind of a worry about with Turner, um, you know, replicating some of the issues that have popped up there between him and Sabonis uh, in terms of offensive fit. Worth noting that this year, Turner has improved his three-point shooting. And um, in 419 minutes together, the two of them have posted an 8.3, 8.13 net rating, 109.3 on the offensive end. He's in the lead, but pretty solid. And they've had some 
kind of bad three point luck on offense. So, um, yeah, Seth definitely would be interested in your thoughts if you think Turner would be a better fit. I mean, I so I think that the that you don't quite have the same issues with with uh, that you do with Sabonis. As can you as, elaborate on that? Well, because so just Randall is just a more dynamic facing like ball handling facing the ball player mm. than like like Sabonis basically like he can he can face up and shoot a little bit, but he can't put the ball on the floor mm. nearly this like he you know Sabonis is a good passer, but I don't think you you'd ever really play him in like an initiator true point forward role like he's a guy who can who can make plays on the short roll make plays from the elbow for for other people but you, like you're never gonna have him handle the ball and pick and roll yeah like i like i i would have to look it up but i can't like that would have been cool if indiana had been running like four or five pick and roll with 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 sabonis <laughs> and turner that would have been something i would have liked to see but i don't think i don't think sabonis is is enough is is a good enough ball handler or mobile enough to make that work and you know randall um you know Ra- like sabonis like i mean if you want to be reductive about it like uh sabonis is a four five and randall's a four three mm-hmm. you know and so that's yeah. that's that's where like he can slide to do more like like quote-unquote small forwardy things next to turner in ways randall plays more like a big wing right yeah exactly um yeah like i, I don't know <laughs> I, I like really come around on Turner because I, for a long time I always felt like you know he's an elite rim protector, but how good is the defense really? And it's, so it's, it's funny. And... It's funny by the way that you, you say that because it, it's like the times to trade for the the time the best times to trade for Miles Turner would would probably have been the times where you're most out on him because you're sort <laughs> of like because I think that probably everyone is like oh Miles Turner yeah they're like you know you remember that uh, that you know this the Celtics the Celtics were like eh, nah. And, and, <laughs> and the Pelicans and, had that this offseason too, right? It was like, eh, well, you know, we'll just give Valanciunas. It's fine. Valanciunas, well, balling, yeah. by the way, yeah. great player. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the guy. I mean, you know, that's the guy. You that's who we need. For. Yeah, so I don't. Yeah. The best, um, the best three point shooter in the league. Well, <laughs> I yeah, that's that. It was funny because I made I made fun of them for saying, yeah, he can space the floor when he'd averaged like, you know. For even even over the last couple of years where he shot three, he averaged like three quarters of a three per hundred possessions. And this year he's just like fire. He's like, okay, well, fine. You got that one right. I have so much respect for a guy like him who's just like constantly evolving and finding ways to change his game and stay relevant and valuable. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement. Turner would probably be a good fit uh, if the price is right. Um, but he, his value is probably higher at this point. Um, what, what do you think is, what, what are you willing to give up for Miles Turner? How about that? Um, none of RJ, OB, IQ, or like the younger guys, I would give up Mitch and, uh, and then it comes down to it's what they want. Then. Yeah. Would you give up Grimes or quick or deuce? Um, it's a year. Yeah. I don't think you're in the ball. You have to give up OB is well, what you're saying, Seth, right? So is, is, is miles, uh, he's a expiring after next year, right? Yeah. So do you think that? It's like like the thing that I always keep coming back with Miles is like I think if the Knicks do ultimately trade for him, that's a trade that happens in the offseason, not during this season. Or at least later this season, because they're still sort of evaluating what this team looks like and not great so far, but they're still kind of evaluating, I think, what they have, you know, playing under under Carlisle. So I think so, that makes it that makes it even a little bit tougher. So I mean on what you were saying though, in terms of RJ OBIQ, you think they have to give up one of those guys or 
I mean, I, I don't like. I don't think. I don't think Indiana is trading Turner for spare parts. Yeah, and I don't think they're trading him for for Mitchell Robinson because, I mean, <laughs> like, well, we we have this we have this twin this, this double center conundrum. So let's trade for another less versatile center. <laughs> yeah, isn't exactly. you know, it, is it like um, the the. When you watch, uh, it, have you have you watched the Pacers a bunch this year, Seth? Some they're not they're not a particularly awesome watch right now, but I've I've seen them I've seen them a fair amount. Yeah, like I think them and the Knicks are kind of funny because when you talk about like playing with joy, I don't know if there's a team like Knicks and, and the Pacers are definitely up there in terms of not playing with much joy. Um, shout out Rick Carlisle, Boomer for life. Um, but I. They're 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 such a weird and fascinating team to me forever. Um, just I can never make sense of. I had such high hopes for Karis Levert, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen for him. <laughs> not not all the Wolverines can be winners, but um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we we've talked a lot about the Knicks, um, Seth. We definitely want to talk a little bit about uh your book, um, the mid range theory, which I uh, unfortunately have not finished yet, um, but um, I'm about. Uh, a little bit more than a third of the way through. I've enjoyed it quite a bit so far. Um, do you want to uh, to get into that a little bit? Do you want to talk? Give your well, first. Give I your... want to know if 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 Schwinney's even opened it. I I, I <laughs> had a busy week. Read, come on. Yeah, I, first of all, I'm not literate. Um, I I have not. I had a busy week, and then yesterday was dedicated to watching college football and drinking beer. So um, today, hopefully, fair, fair, uh, fair. once I get done with this, I will I will one. I am going to rewatch the Michigan highlights on YouTube, uh, and then I will crack open the book. So keep the, the lotion short, handy. The, <laughs> no, the, the, the short version is that I, I, um, we, we all see, you know, we're we're perhaps too online. We're definitely too online, considering that we're doing a podcast now. Um, but but you know, we've all seen the like kind of the 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 nerd, the real hoopers versus analytics debates and those are tiresome and dumb and to the extent that they're even occurring with a with a modicum of good faith the issue is 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 language the fact that that it's two groups discussing the same thing in a completely different language so part of what i wanted to do really the main thing i want to do with the book was to put the ideas that come from quote unquote analytics uh, around ba- and put it into basketball terms so that it's it's not this other thing that is like the realm of of you know computer simulations and stuff like that it's it's basketball being viewed in a slightly different way but coming to a lot of the same conclusions that you know you know basketball life tests i i test ba- basketball lifer i test guy would come to and just to sort of explain how things have gotten to the way they have in terms of of uh the style of play of the modern NBA in both, you know, analytic terms, but also with respect to kind of strategy, game strategic and rule uh, changes, which, you know, if you're a third of the way into the book, you haven't gotten to the title chapter yet, which is really where I, I kind of go deep on, you know, why the game looks the way it does today. And it's not all about, or even I think primarily about like the impact of analytics on how teams play. Yeah, I think one thing I've enjoyed so far is um, you you do focus a lot on language. I think there's one passage which really stuck out. It's like, you know, that pass itself, the word pass can be kind of arbitrary and how you kind of come up with some of these terms. 
Um, so I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, getting back to the rule changes, um, you know, and how they've impacted. Would you want to? I mean, without giving away too much that's in the book, would you want to expand a little bit on that? And sure. On no. Ideas? So this, this has come up. This has come up a fair amount on 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 Twitter, and I I uh, I had a, I had actually a fairly cordial discussion on with Eddie Johnson on his uh, radio show uh, the other day um, about this. But just you know how how much the change in the illegal defense rule mm-hmm. in two thousand one. How big a change that is, and how the game is played, because it, it it completely alters offensive strategy. Like Tibbs's style defense was illegal previously. Like you could not you could not pre rotate help. Like yeah, it, it was so easy to create space for good isolation players under the previous rules. You just like you could literally like stick um, Irvin Johnson and Alton Lister like up at the up you know opposite wing above the break. And the, the opposition would have to guard them. Like they, they could be, you know, they could be, you know, six, eight feet off of them, but they still have to have guys guard them. Where if you stuck, you know, pick a, pick a, you know, if, if, if the Knicks tried to stick Mitchell Robinson, like opposite above the break, <laughs> where would his defender be? Like, and that just, that is, is just a massive change into, um, you know, that that's a that's a pretty big reason why like the game changed from like playing through the post to playing out of pick and roll frankly is because when you could post up and create space and you had to either double team or not you couldn't do this like halfway and stunt and recover stuff um that made it pretty easy for guys to either oh i got space i can go to work here or that guy's doubling i'll just throw it to his guy um is it and it's um, just it, it's it's you just need the ball in the hands of better decision makers now is it something? I mean, I'm curious. Like, how long do you? I mean, I, I again, I have not cracked open the book yet. Um, but like, would you say that the Suns that that Mike D'Antoni Suns team was that like the first team to really capitalize significantly uh, in terms of offense on the on the rule changes? I, I think that was one of them. Probably you could probably look at at at, at uh, the Mavs at the Mavs just before that. Like Steve yeah. Nash is definitely at the epicenter. Um, and then he, like, on top of the illegal defense rules and, you know, the fact that you actually did have to guard Dirk out there, um, <laughs> yes. um, regardless. Um, Good shooter. <laughs> but then but then also, like, the, you know, the changes to prim- the amount of perimeter physicality allowed, then allowed, you know, a relatively small, relatively slight by NBA, NBA standards, uh, but highly skilled player like Nash, um, that, that did work to his advantage relative to other players. And then they, then, you know, what they did was, oh, which, like, this guy is like the best decision maker in the game. Uh, the best decision maker and one of the, the three or four best shooters in the game. Let's put the ball in his hands all the time and surround him with guys who can, you know, finish uh, or shoot or both uh, and, you know, see where that gets us. And uh, where that gets you is a pretty awesome offense, it turns out. Um, Especially in 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 a game where where it was so unique that that you know nobody had really seen that kind of like dynamic spread pick and roll game um, really before that and didn't know how to defend it and so much of modern defense with you know like the you know the low man and 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 tag and recover and all that stuff is in sort of uh, uh, response to 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 a lot of the stuff that the, those D'Antoni sons did. Yeah. Um. Kind of on, a, on another question I'd have. Um, so you mentioned that you kind of want this book to, you know, to kind of bridge the gap 
um, you know, between the different camps on Twitter and someone who might be like a, a film junkie, you know, uh, eye test person. Seth really yeah. wants to reach uh, Rashad Phillips and Embreds. Oh, you, you, you left Bal Baldo and stuff. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is this, I though, didn't, right? I didn't, uh, I didn't describe enough uh, dribble moves in detail. Just list them. <laughs> I didn't just list enough dribble moves in detail to get to get there. But, the, uh, yeah, the Hezzy Jimbo, the three to the dominus, all of that, right? Um, <laughs> the question I have is if you're, but if, if the goal of analytics is to kind of provide statistical rigor to some of the same conclusions, is oh, that maybe mm, okay? Good. No, so like I like I think people get hung up a little bit too much on the statistics because that's the how, that's not the what. Right. Um, sure. It's, sure. It's the, the goal is to be better it's not to it, it, like you know the these whether they're using statistics or not like any decision that's interesting enough to inspire debate is going to have a decent chance of going either way and so yeah with using sort of more process-based reasoning and more empiricism maybe you can take a 50 50 decision and tilt it to 60 40 your way but that's 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 just that's that's better that's not like statistical rigor for its own sake that's in, it's in statistical rigor that's instrumental in in kind of weighting the dice in your favor yeah uh, for sure um but i guess the other question is if if you ultimately wanted to agree with what people you know have been seeing um does that cap some of the value it can offer right as opposed to you know new ideas that people may not even have considered um no because like like confirming that sort of conventional wisdom is right has some value too, because um, you know, say for example, um, you know, I really think that that, that Kemba Walker has been playing been been ineffective and that's been hurting the Knicks. Um, you look at uh, Ryan Davis released his first way too early pass of of single season RAPM um, yesterday. I think Kemba's in like the bottom twenty in the league. Um, now, now that's you know it's it's way too it's way too early in the year for that to be considered like you know statistically significant like you know uh, you know incontrovertible 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 wow struggle bus for me today uh, <laughs> evidence but it certainly is useful as like hey, this is what I'm seeing and yeah it really looks like really looks like him being on the floor is if you isolate it that's kind of been an issue so yeah let's let's uh, Let's let's go a different way there. Like that's certainly helpful. Like in in terms of actually like making decisions. Um, so you kind of know what not to change if you if you if you can confirm sort of what you already suspect. I see. So I mean, so I guess yeah. Like and just generally, how do you weigh maybe where um, you know your process is telling you something that may be very counterintuitive and it doesn't agree with people? How do you weigh that? Versus, you know, the other extreme of maybe, uh, you know, staying, you know, how, how do you kind of weigh those two perspectives against each other? Well, the, so the first thing is, is when you, if you, if you're doing something and you come up with a finding that's very counterintuitive, is you check your own math and then triple check it. Or not your, your own math, your own, uh, your own code, your own process. Because right. like a lot of times that's, this is why like subject matter ex expertise in doing any sort of data work is very important is it's, that gives you that gives you that sort of first sniff test of like, no, nah, it's not right. No, 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 like, that can't be right. No, no, Le LeBron isn't the, the 400th best, best player in the league. That's, that's, I've done something terrible. 
Oh, let me go back and look. Uh, let me let me go back, rather than you know run to Twitter like oh look what I he does like uh, MJ was definitively better because like oh no you reversed the sign in your code here now you have to now you look really stupid. Um, so that's so that's that that's step one. Step two is um, these decisions like when done at sort of the professional level are are, are complex and you know it's. From a from a narrow standpoint, I don't totally have to worry about how the decision maker um, weighs various pieces of evidence, as long as I'm providing um, what I think is the best answer and effectively communicate my, the strength of my conviction in that answer. Um, like that's that's going to be one thing. Like a scout's going to say another thing. Uh, like a medical team is going to say a third thing. The cap guy is going to say a fourth thing. And these are all very kind of disparate ideas that you have to, you know, plug in together and weigh when making a decision. Um, but, you know, you give the best information from all those groups and then the sort of the art of putting those things together and making the right decision is is, is hard, but um, it's harder with, le- I mean, maybe actually making the decision is easier with less information but I think that's also leads to worse decisions actually being made. So it's complicated, but better, I guess, is, is when there's disagreements. Is that, that, that's, not really, that's not super helpful because there's not like a formula. There's not really a formula you can do where, well, this decision is 20% analytics and 10% and it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Because, because these, these things are all in like different units. It's like, it's half orange and half, uh, you know, half rutabaga. Like what? I don't like. How do you even average those two together? Yeah, and it, I mean, I think yeah. Like the, it's also like some of the less obvious ones, right? And I guess to your earlier point, right? It's more useful in, in settling a lot of debates because everything has been thought of under the sun, right? But like I remember, um, I think it was Dave Barry who published some research about you know Mello not being, you know, I think he's like he said he was like the twentieth best small forward or whatever. It, but it's it, but on the one hand, a lot of people were like, "Well, if you watch basketball, don't tell me Carmelo Anthony isn't valuable." But on the other hand, a lot of it was there are people who are saying that he's not a winning player. That he stops the ball, right? So it's not like you know it, it's cut and dry anyway. So well, yeah, it's, and it's and and it's not uh, it's not a monolith. Like um, like I don't want to rehash old debates, but there are some sort of both um, conceptual and methodological things that were done in that particular line of thought that I just, I don't think reflect the, I reflect the game of basketball very well. And so that's, you know, if you wanted to go, if you wanted to see some, 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 uh, uh, you know, there's the, there was a, 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 a sort of a, an aphorism about, you know, why are debates in academia uh, so, so vicious and bitter is because the stakes are so small. So if you want to go back and, and see something that sort of proves that is you go back on like uh uh, APBR board like 10 years ago and you you look at the like the, the heat of the debate about wages of wins and oh god yeah wages of wins and that's okay. and that's it's going to it's going to be ugly yeah dave berry um not not my favorite analyst he hates not mellows either <laughs> uh yeah, mellow is such an interesting i i, I mean i'm curious uh, obviously again i have not read the book at all but like is mellow he feels like such a, like, uh, I don't want to say, he, the debate around him is very interesting because, like, 
it felt like forever he was such a polarizing figure between real hoopers and you know the nerds and it's like i don't know like is, is that something that you felt like or is that something that you know you touch on at all in the in, in the book because it, he, he does feel like a player who who very much uh symbolizes kind of like the shifting viewpoints on how we discuss basketball and analyze it and what we value so i do get into that a little bit uh not so much through the lens of of uh carmelo uh more like i more in one chapter I, i'm kind of comparing uh jimmy butler and demar Derozan, which Frankly, uh, the way DeRozan's played this year, that chapter might not age great. <laughs> but uh, a lot of a lot of don't don't worry, you're with friends here. Where yeah. all of our DeRozan takes are looking. Yeah, no, but but great. it's but it's also like again the, the sort of the degree of antipathy that the sort of the the metrics people have for certain players is over. It's like not like people may have stated it more strongly, but no one thought that Carmelo was a bad, well, Dave Barry might've, but no one, no one credible <laughs> thought that Carmelo was a bad player, but it's like, is he a top five player or is he a top 20 player? That's an enormous difference mm-hmm. in terms of like impact on towards winning a championship. But that still means that we thought he was like the 20th best player in the league, which is like awesome, just not quite <laughs> as awesome. So that's, and that's, that's a little bit like Jimmy Butler is, is, you know, in part because of defense, in part because of sort of a lot of the the sort of the little things that kind of happen between the easily recorded stats, he's always been a massively winning player for his career. Um, prior to this year, like there'd been one season, I think, where DeRozan's team had been better with him on the floor than off, or had 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 in terms of net rating. And that's across like multiple teams, multiple roles, multiple roster constructions over a long time. So there's something going on there where like the 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 box score numbers aren't translating to the scoreboard moving in the right direction quite as well as you think. Why is that? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's really, you know, what what you get into. And 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 you know, further, like we know that there's play oh, stats can't totally tell the this guy's so much better than his stats. We we all sort of accept that those players exist. Um, like your boy Alex Caruso. There yes. you go. Exactly. Thank you. I don't. Uh, again, Seth was right. It said many people <laughs> on Nick's Twitter. Um, uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but no. But 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 for there to be players that are better than their box score stats, um, that necessarily uh, indicates that there are also players who are worse. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not. It's never fun to hear that your guy is one of those guys, but somebody has to be. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of, I just really find it pretty cool how much, like, the way we discuss, like, just like even the, the way basketball is discussed, not even just basketball, right? All sports now, it's like the way we discuss them, um, casually is a casual, uh, is, uh, is so different than, than kind of like the, you know, back growing up, like, you know, just everything about strategy and kind of like how we value players and what we use to value them is, is so interesting how it's changed. Um, so yeah, I would, I mean, I would agree with people who say that's not always for the best. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's it's something that I constantly battle against, um, but it's kind of hard not to. Is like, um, you know, if you're doing sort of the fantasy GM thing, it's hard 
to avoid speaking in language that like commodifies. And that's, you know, and that's, it's not, especially like in sort of online discourse where you, you, there, where you don't have quite the, the, you can't use tone and sort of context to, to soften that a little bit. It and we all want to pretty, dunk on each other. How, what's that? I said, it, and we all want to dunk on each other. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> but it's also, it's, it is a little bit like, you know, you don't want to be at the point where the game is reduced to an equation and it's not fun anymore. And that's, that's, and I, 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 you know, I think that's, that's a misnomer is that like analytics people don't like the game. Like, you know, why, why do you think that we devote all this time to studying this, this silly little thing? It's not like, it's not like I started doing basketball analytics because I thought that like, you know, it'll be a great job in you know 10 years. I might write a book in, in, in a decade just by looking at this <laughs> stuff. Like, no, no one, it was because. You know, it's because I liked basketball, like figuring out how things, you know, take things apart, figure out how they work. Wanted to do better in my fantasy league. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can I, 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 I'm curious because I know that you're uh, doing some work with um, Ted Knutson, as he likes to call himself in this podcast. Because uh, like, that is his name. Is it, is it pronounced Knutson? Yes. I always thought that was like a, a bit. Like I thought it was actually Knutson. No, I, my girlfriend had a, lost with that last name and i that's also hilarious I, so i'm a fucking idiot um don't tell him i said that so uh well, sure it's, he... it's like you know it's 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 son of newt like uh, yeah rock me right um but i'm i'm curious like do you find that uh looking at other sports helps inform like kind of does it does it impact and like maybe help you in how you also like you know, just like you're ever, I mean, as all of us have like ever changing opinions and values of basketball, like, sure. is that, is that a thing that you found? I mean, this is unrelated maybe even to your book, but I, I'm just curious about like how, how you feel about that. No, I think it is um, certainly. Um, okay. So there's kind of two extremes for how games are played. There's the very discreet game, which is, you know, uh, baseball, American football. And then the very flow-based game, which is, you know, the epitome of those are probably hockey and soccer. Now, mm -hmm. you know, so much of how we analyze basketball comes from kind of the binary, the the discrete, the 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 one possession, next possession, next possession, each as its own unit, kind of from baseball. And that's, you know, that's understandable because obviously, like, baseball is sort of where sports analytics, like, first... I don't know. I won't go so far as to say it was invented, but was first certainly popularized. Um, so, but coming at it from the other way, like the the from the flow based games to you know, we, we talked earlier about how the importance of of flow and how like one possession impacts the next, and like and beyond that, even how you show a team like one play, one move, one set early in the game, and then later in the game that maybe causes them to react differently either to your advantage or detriment. Um, so, so studying things like from games like soccer and, and hockey, where those, where that kind of end to end continuousness is a key feature of the game. I think that does add something to kind of uh, get us out of that, that, um, you know, each possession is its own unique special flower where nothing that happened before or after has any impact on how you should view it. Um, I think that that's the, like that got you to a certain point of understanding 
but to get beyond that, you do have to look, come and look at it from the other direction, from the more sort of continuous viewpoint. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, I, I, it's like soccer is always like a really interesting one for me because I feel like the public stats that we that are available are like they're so um, like they're like soccer public advanced stats and stuff like that they're they're very much in the mid 2000s of where we were with basketball at that time where it's like oh my god true shooting percentage this is fucking crazy um and well i will say that stats bomb does does release a lot of uh uh, free data from time to time yeah no their their stuff is great and it but it's like it's odd like i mean obviously not 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 to plug but i'll plug like no i i've that's like the first stats based soccer podcast i i think it might be the only one that exists maybe uh but it's like the first one that i listened to and was like wow this is like such a good way of taking these stats that exist and like applying them to actually what we're seeing and obviously i know he's done a lot of work with like set pieces which has been really you know i don't want to say revolutionary but it's definitely changed i mean every coach every team now has like dedicated set piece coaches so obviously that's an area that um they capitalized on you know, applying data, uh, but it's like uh, it's just like very interesting where the discourse is because I, I do like a soccer podcast from time to time, and um, you know, like most of the, the guys that I do with, they're all like English and in the UK, and like it's it's like it's like funny how long it took for them to be like, well, okay, maybe expected goals isn't entirely bullshit, um, and it's just funny because that's such a like basic rudimentary stat in a lot of ways that although it's but it's also it's it's kind of a it's kind of a like as you said it's kind of it's it is kind of um it's in many ways in the same level as like a like an repm or something like that mm-hmm. in, in basketball where it's like okay this is what happened but we can't yet tell you how or why and that's that's sort of the the event level stuff uh, which we've been fortunate in, in basketball we've been fortunate enough that we've actually through play-by-play have had decent not perfect but decent event level stuff and then tracking data came in and really really improved that yeah no it's um yeah i gotta say i i'm I'm definitely looking forward to reading this book and um you know um just generally getting into it um but seth i appreciate you coming on and spending god knows way too much time talking about the knicks have, have you wait could you could you hear my my son wanting to feed him candy canes coming up and talking <laughs> I, to me there i did, the, I did a, hear a box of, a box of skittles candy canes has just showed up in in our house and my son is very intrigued by this so i'm going to go uh i'm going to go um be a pusher be a sugar pusher and uh get get my son uh really really amped up and then make sure then let his mom take care of him no i'm not gonna do that because she'd be part of me on uh, twitter Seth, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this was fun. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug, perhaps a book or anything? For uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> mid, mid-range theory uh, is available uh, everywhere books are sold. Um, uh, it, uh, best people have I've heard that people have had the best luck in terms of getting it delivered quickly, either uh, from Amazon or from Triumph Books, the publisher directly. Uh, it is also available on Kindle and other e-reader formats, if that is the way you prefer to consume your books but i i gotta say the response has been overwhelmingly positive so far and i'm very i'm very thankful for the nice things everyone has said about it and i really do hope that it helps move uh the discussion of you know basketball from a statistical lens 
into a more productive place than just kind of the the same old oh all analytics is is shooting threes and <laughs> shut up nerd kind of stuff. So yeah, well maybe maybe you and Tibbs can have a conversation about that. I know uh, so I I mean I you know it's a, it is a small enough community that I know the people who work with Tibbs and and he has good people working with them and he is open to the ideas. It's just the the implementation is yeah like the, I mean we talked earlier about decision making like. You know, there's 17 different things going on. Like, all right, would you maybe want to, you know, Hollinger made a joke about like, you know, benching Kembo when you just signed Fournier. Like maybe you would like no other things like under consideration. Maybe that would be something you consider, but having just signed him to a long-term deal for decent money, you don't, you can't just like, you know, shoot him into space this early because that has sort of long-term implications. So that like that what might be a pure win a game tonight decision um, becomes instantly more complicated just by that one little thing. And then it's like, well, this guy likes playing with that guy or this guy likes come like, likes starting, not coming off the bench. And this guy likes playing longer stints instead of like, he likes playing two longer stints and instead of three shorter ones, even though three shorter ones might be better. Um, so those, I mean, those are the additional complicating things that, that, you know, even if getting the best advice from a metrics perspective and taking all that advice on, the decision might not always be in line with what that point of view would suggest. I, I appreciate the, uh, the insight there. Um, but Seth, again, thank you so much for coming on and um, congrats on the book and uh, all, all the, uh, the praise it's getting and that you're getting um, because, you know, uh, even though we butt heads on Twitter sometimes, uh, it's been it's been uh, great to have you on as as per usual. Uh, Stacy, is there anything that you would like to plug before you get out of here? But for at first when you said that, I thought you were calling us all butt heads on Twitter. Um, <laughs> well, I am. That, that, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing I'll plug is um, uh, first of all, they had a lot of great content come out on Strickland. On Strickland. Before yesterday's disaster, there was one piece that I really liked. It's on our Patreon, but makes it worth it and kind of highlights how great it is um, from Jack Huntley on uh, a lot of signs that this actually, that this could be the version of the best version of Julius Randle yet, uh, given some of the tweaks he's made to his shot selection uh, that may not be showing up in terms of the results as much, but, um, you know, some positives about the process. Uh, the other thing I'll plug is, um, as I've mentioned a few times on here, I'm have just started a podcast with Matt Miranda uh, on Believe Sports. So that is the Believe Knicks podcast, you know, on, the, on that network. Uh, and uh, we've had a couple of good episodes. We should be having one released uh, again tomorrow. So, uh, you know, if you, if you can't get enough Knicks, if you enjoy Pod Strickland and are looking for more coverage, um, I think you'll, you'll enjoy what we're putting out there, too. Uh, all right. Uh, Stacy. Um, congrats on the new pod, by the way, buddy. Um, uh, looking forward to that. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm sure that it'll be good with you and Matt. Um, you being an idiot and Matt being intelligent. So it's a good, it averages out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of like this one where we're both fucking idiots. So it doesn't average out actually at all. Uh, all right. Uh, that was our pod for today. Uh, I will see everybody on Friday. 